sent his only son, and the son was obedient to the father and gave up his only life. And the spirit is the helper and the comforter who lives in every single one of God's people to empower them, not only to believe and to stay true to God, but to live for him just like his son did. And Jesus Christ, the king of kings, who's been given preeminence over everything, is the one that the father has given everything to. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord and he is king. The joy and the beauty is being able to come to that realization here now while alive and while hope can be found. The beauty and the glory to be part of God's family. So let's go to our God who we can go to boldly now and pray and ask him to help us. Our Heavenly Father, God, you get all the glory. So many things in life we settle for and we give that glory that you deserve to things that do not love us, that do not chase us, that do not die for us, that that do not endure and stay awake and never slumber or sleep for us. And we give that glory to these worthless things, maybe even people who are just as broken and flawed as we are. God, be patient and merciful to us in these moments and always turn our eyes back to the summit. Take it off the horizontal, make it vertical. Look to you and remember how much you love us and how worthy you are of this praise. Be with us this morning and we open your word. Show us the things that you have for us and grow us closer to you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated and kids, you are allowed to run on out of here. And as they're running, church, let's take our Bibles. We're all going to journey together to the book of Jonah. So I want you to take your Bibles, go to the Old Testament, go to the book of Jonah or your phones, whatever. But we need to make sure to have the words in front of us because we're going to go through this story together. Jonah's chapter one and two, that's where we're going to be. I want to ask you this question. Are you running from God? Are you, you, running from God at this moment in your life? You say, well, hey, that's an interesting sermon for the church to be going to a book to talk about running from God. By the way, we're here. Shouldn't that be a testimony, the fact that we're not running from God? Not necessarily. As we're gonna see, as we know all too well in the book of Jonah, he ran from God, but he was one of God's children, a prophet of God, Yet he is the one who ran, not someone lost in darkness, someone who knew better, running from God. I remember a time in my life where I ran from something, very young, at my grandparents' house, and they had these dogs. My grandfather had these dogs that for some reason he just, they were very obedient to him, but it was just important for those dogs to hate everything else and everyone else. He had multiple ones. They were mutts. They were all mixed. And they, they had their little dog houses and little beds like, like guarding the door. And he had, this, he had this, uh, uh, these steps you had to walk up to get to the porch. And you had to like go through this gauntlet of dogs snarling at you just to get into the door, right? And as a kid, it was terrifying. So I was like, I need to make sure that I never have to go inside, use the restroom, and play outside the whole time away from that porch. Well, one time, me and my brother, younger brother, it's time to go inside, right? Food or something's done. My brother's going before me. And we're both like, as we're going up the steps, you can like hear the getting louder and louder and louder. And so like our steps get more and more cautious. And then you can tell the dogs are seeing your energy that you've, something's up. So they, they're like, something's up. And then you feel weirder and you react. And you know how it is with dogs, you know, they're like, their shoulders come up. They're just kind of get closer. And they're just like daring you to get any closer. So what does my brother do? He goes real close to the door, grabs a hot dog bun. I don't know, I don't know why it was there. Hot dog bun, tosses it, hits one of the dogs right in the nose, jumps inside. The dogs all look at me and start charging. <laughs> so what I do, I totally don't remember going down the 10 steps down the porch. Next thing you know, I'm on the ground and I'm running as fast as I can. And where am I running to? I'm running to a pond. And what do I do when I get to that pond? I jump in. What do I do when I hit the pond? I turn around. The dogs aren't following me. I'm excited. Now I'm worried about the snapping turtles that are in the pond. Now I'm freaking out. 
Now we're trying to get out of the pond. Running from something very scary is no fun. Something like that gets in your memory and your memory and you remember it, right? As a kid growing up, you made me afraid of dogs. Jonah's running from God. We run all the time. Running from God is different though. You know, running from those dogs, I was afraid for my life. Sometimes we run from God because we're afraid of him, but his pursuit of us, though it can be painful, is always good. Jonah chapter one, let me ask you this question. Are you running from God? Let me read it to you. First verse of chapter one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Oh man, we're in the book of Jonah, so elementary. Books like this, books like Jonah, that are so Sunday school in our mind, I'm going to make an assumption today that we get this story wrong in some ways, and I'm going to reveal the climactic way that I think we've missed the story. I'm making an assumption there. So I hope we learn kind of a bigger point from this that maybe we've missed our whole life, and it'll be revealed here in, in a few minutes. But in these areas of scripture that are all too familiar, I think we avoid them and we gloss over them because we know them so much. Let me give you an example. Some of you may be facing and walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and you've probably gone to the scriptures, and your mind has probably thought about Psalm 23, and you've glossed over it because you thought, I need something fresh because of what I'm going through. No, you need to read that all too familiar Psalm about going through the valley of the shadow of death in a fresh way. Go to it. Don't gloss over it. Jonah is a story about God revealing just how much he loves mankind more than we do. Jonah being someone who hated another people group and he ran from the Lord. So as we get into it, I want to first do this. I want to make some observations about running from the Lord. You're going to see them on the screen. Three observations about running from the Lord. And the first thing is this, running from God comes in many shapes and sizes. Jonah literally ran from God. If you look at a map, you'll see where Jonah is. He's like here in Joppa, and God tells him to go to Nineveh, which is about 500 miles northeast. Instead, he, gets, he goes to Joppa, gets on a ship, and he's fleeing to Tarshish, which is like 2,500 miles out to the west. So he's literally running away, and it says he's running from the presence of the Lord. Well, Jonah's running came in, in the, the package of, of proximity. I'm trying to get away from where I think God is. And it's interesting, what he's actually running from is the, the will of the Lord. God asked me to go to a place, so I'm going to run from that place and get as far away from that place as I can. But the whole motive in Jonah's heart is to flee from the presence of the Lord. Running comes in many shapes and sizes. You don't have to literally, physically be running to be running from God. You know, in the Garden of Eden, when Eve was deceived and she went away from the will of God and the commands of God and listened to the deception that was coming in, doubt filled her mind. She began to doubt what God said and then her eyes desired, desired something that she knew was forbidden. So she took and she ate and then what did they do? They hid from the presence of the Lord. Their running came in the form of hiding, came in the form of, of deception and giving into it, sinning and then hiding. And then the Bible teaches us in the garden that they are cast out of the garden and then the angel is put at the east of the city and now they're cast out west. Going from east to west represents going away from God in scripture. So that's why the tabernacle faced west and the entrance you were going east because it symbolized going back into the presence of God and in the middle of the tabernacle was the veils that had all this garden imagery. So when you went into the Holy of Holies, you're going back into the presence of the Lord and the whole theme of scripture is that mankind has been cast from the presence of God. Jonah 
doing what's natural for humans, running from God. You know, Judas ran from God, but he was there with Jesus the whole time, wasn't he? But how was he running? His running was in the form of cravings and passions that had been building the whole time. The the things that were brewing in his heart, affections for things other than Jesus, deception there the whole time, right? And then when the moment came, what was really in his heart was revealed. You know, running from God may be this. It actually may be you fleeing from the physical proximity of another person, because God is telling you, I need you to be around that person. I want you to make things right with that person. And so you spend all your time avoiding that person out of the peripherals, out of the corner of your eyes, and you go nowhere near that person because you want to have anything to do with them. That's akin to what Jonah's facing him because he's got a problem. Jonah's got a problem with these people. We have a problem with this person. And so we don't think about it in many ways, but we come to church, we read our Bibles. All the while, there's this, there's this spirit of fleeing from God in our life and we're not even aware of it. So I ask you, are you running from God? It, it could be a physical thing. You, you could be literally, I'm avoid the gathering. I don't even want to be in the gathering. How is it showing up? How does it tend to show up in your life? The running from God. Now pay attention. Running comes in many shapes and sizes. So do not read the story of Jonah and just think that this is his problem. It is a people of God problem because the enemy is more crafty than any other beast of the field. And we are still struggling with the flesh, as Galatians tells us, which is opposed to the spirit. And we're going to constantly be running into the areas of our life where we begin running from God. Running comes in many shapes and sizes. Secondly, this, running is pointless. Running from God is pointless. Let's, let's continue in this story a little bit. So he gets in the ship. Notice this, he had to pay the fare, and there's a crew on the ship, and they're heading. So he's, his, his livelihood, where he lives, and his money is being used to try to get away from God. Verse four, but the Lord, Jonah's running, he's in Tarshish, he's on the boat, they're on the sea, which is interesting, we're gonna talk about this in a little bit. Jews, they stay away from the sea. The sea represents something, there's some symbolism here we're gonna see. So they're on the sea, and what does God do? He hurls a whirlwind. A great storm comes upon Jonah, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship was threatened to break up Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it to them, uh, lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give thought to us that we may not perish. You see the scene on the water. He's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. There's no telling how many, how many miles Jonah got. Maybe they just got off, but I get the picture that he's probably hundreds of miles off the shore. Guess what? Where God God is. God is there. Is he succeeding in getting away from God? No, he's not. Psalm 139, verse 7 says this Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light be about me night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for the darkness is as light with you. Fleeing and running from God is pointless. Why do we still do it then? Why are we still ignoring that thing that God in his still small quiet voice is is trying to tell us in the back? Why do we still continue to distract ourselves from what it is that God's telling us to run to? Because we still try. Because we're broken people and we still run. And we feel in our flesh that doing what God has for us and following God and being close to him and doing what he's asking us to do is somehow the hardest thing. We're running, running, but our running is pointless. Third thing, running is dangerous. Running is very, very dangerous, especially in your heart when you're running from God. Let me ask you this. If you're running from the presence of the Lord, what are you running to? 
If you're running from God, maybe the goal is just to get away from him. Guess what you can't avoid? You can't avoid running into something. What, I want to hear you say it. If I were to ask you, what does scripture present as the uttermost end of separation from God? What is the end road of getting away from God? Hell, because hell is being separated from God utterly for all of eternity. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is death and destruction. And so when we run from God and we go towards whatever else it is, it all is just a different basket with hell in it. Hell represents destruction and death. So in the story, notice where Jonah is. He's running from God and he winds up where? We're going to interact today. He winds up where? On what? On a ship that's on the what? Sea. Let me tell you about the sea. The sea is extremely dangerous. We even, even with our technology today, very dangerous, very terrifying, very mysterious. Some people have that phobia where they just thinking about being in the depths of the sea causes all types of fear in there. I think that's actually right. I think we should feel that. In the scripture, the sea is always presented as this very chaotic abyss. Even when the world is being formed in the book of Genesis, when the world is just the sea, it's, been, it's chaotic. There's monstrous sea creatures. And the Jews were people of the land. They wouldn't want to have anything to do with the sea because the sea represented death. Notice where Jonah is in his effort to run away from God, out in the middle of the sea, the place that's terrifying to him, the place where nothing can live. You can't drink the water. And if you hear stories about people who've survived the sea, it is a treacherous fight against imminent death at every moment. Is it not? The sea represents a very dangerous place to be. Now, what did I say wasn't dangerous? I said running from God is dangerous. What did I not include in that and what John is experiencing? Who said it? Fear. What else is Jonah experiencing on the sea? He's asleep, but what are the people in the boat experiencing? The storm. Oh, Jasper, why didn't you include the storm as being dangerous? Who brought the storm? God did. The sea is the danger. Okay. Running comes in many shapes and sizes. Running is pointless. And running from God is extremely dangerous because you can only run from him into the destruction. In the areas of our life, we're deceived and we're not listening to God. Maybe we're unable to open our eyes and see what's before us, but I'll tell you this, it's not hope, it's not joy. It's destruction. Maybe a small area of our life. It may be the very core of our life. Yeah, we might come to church. We might listen to what mom and dad says or we might listen to what our spouse says and we come and we're just a little obedient and we just kind of like fit in with the community. But in our heart, we want nothing to do with God and we want him to leave us alone. That is running from him and it is extremely dangerous. It's dangerous for your soul and it's dangerous for your life. Now, Let's get the story straight, shall we? And then we're going to look at a few things. We're going to get into chapter two. So join me in chapter one as we finish and look at this story. And I want us to make sure we understand it properly. They're on the ship. God sends a great storm. And the the sailors who are there are concerned about dying. The the storm is bad enough to where they're all calling out to their little G gods. Very interesting point of the story. Calling out to their gods, the captain runs down and he finds Jonah asleep. I find myself like, why is he asleep? Is is Jonah so scared that he's on the sea that he's just like, like just out? Or is that just another form of running? I'm just going to ignore what I know God's trying to do to get my attention. Maybe that. Runs down and he finds John. He says, wake up, arise, you sleeper. You think there's symbolic there? Arise, you sleeper. Call out to your God. Perhaps he'll hear and help. Man, Pay attention, you have people who do not know the living God. Pagans, 
who are giving the wisest wisdom in the moment, who know what the right answer is, and the shame that this Jew who knows the one and living true God is hearing from the mouth of pagans, rise, call out to your God. God is trying to get his attention. Verse seven, continue with me. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. If you don't know what casting lots is, it's these little, little uh, square pieces that they would throw that had different color sides. And, and when, when it would fall on two white sides, that meant yes, two black, no. When they were mixed, you roll again. So probably all black here, no, all black here, two white pieces here, yes, Jonah. God even in control of the lots here in this story. They said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? Oh, I love this. What the pagans and the lost of the world should be inquiring about when it comes to God's people. Who are you? Where are you from? What's different about you? I need to know because I'm in a strange land and I want to get into the right land. Uh, Side note. Anyway, and he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Verse 10, then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them, even they who do not know the one true God have the wisdom enough to know, even in the lacking of their knowledge and the darkness of their heart, this is not a good thing to run from God. Then they say to him, what shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. They could not for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, the one true God, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled them into the sea, even though they do not want to, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. Could you imagine? Man, what a gospel message for them. I've met the one true God today. All of my efforts to call out to my small, little, worthless gods meant nothing when it came down to it. But the very one who controls the weather has just proven himself to me. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now look what happens in verse 17. Here's the climactic part of the story. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And if things couldn't get worse, he's thrown in the sea, and he's swallowed by a great sea creature. Great fish, don't believe it's a well, we just know he's in the belly of a great fish. Now here's why I need you to interact with me. What would be going through, or give me the descriptions of what it would be like to be in the belly of the fish. Just call it out. What would it be like? I heard dark. What else? I heard gross. What else? Stinky. Wet, stinky, gross, dark, uncomfortable. Absolutely. Claustrophobic. That's what I'm looking for. You know, sometimes we see the kid story and it's like Jonah's in this great cave with a fire going in the belly of the fish. (laughs) He's probably like this. (laughs) Claustrophobic. Now, give me the descriptions of what you would be feeling stuck there. Scared. Hopeless. Despair. I'm going to die. Helpless. Regret. Anybody here signing up to be swallowed by a great, great fish? 
There's, a, there's actually a story in the, I think, recent years of a man who was, who was swallowed by a well, and he was in the mouth of a well for like 40 seconds because he was diving. And he talks about how terrifying it was just for 40 seconds to be in the mouth of a well, and the, mel, the well eventually spit him out. Absolutely, ter- actually a nightmare for most of us, if not all of us, for something like this to happen. Can we get the story straight? Continue to read with me. Look at chapter two. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, look what he says. And the rest of this is like a psalm. It's like a song that he writes in the belly of the fish. Verse one, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, when did this happen? And he says this, out of the belly of the fish. And what does it say? Does it say out of the belly of fish? Out of the belly of what? Sheol. Sheol. I cried and you heard my voice. Wait, Jonah, you were claustrophobically stuck in the belly of the fish. When did this get good for you? Now look at verse three. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Verse four, then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I again shall look upon your holy temple, a little moment inserting the hope that he feels currently in the moment of being in the fish. And he says this, verse five, the waters closed in over me to take my life and the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountain. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. Oh Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. What is Jonah thankful for in this moment? What do you believe he is so grateful for in this moment? Yes, but there's some, he just talked about being saved. What saved him? Say it out loud. The fish, the stinky, gross, claustrophobic, scary, hopeless, helpless fish is what he's so thankful for. This is the song of Jonah arising as he's stuck in the belly of the fish saying, thank you God for saving me. What was he so afraid of as he sunk to the bottom of the sea? Weeds wrapped about his head. In my distress, of almost drowning is when he remembered the Lord and he cried out to the Lord and God saved him with a fish. Let me ask you this. You thought about this this way your whole life as a fish always been the climax of the judgment and the discipline of God as you've read the story of Jonah. The fish is the salvation of the Lord. So, Let me ask you this question. Are you running from God? I want us to look at chapter two and I want to give you a a few things to consider when you think about your own life and the areas you're either tempted to run or are currently running. And we're going to learn from the example of Jonah. Okay? A few things to consider. First thing is this. God is willing to take drastic measures to wake you up. all because he loves you and he cares for you. And as Hebrew tells us that the discipline of the Lord is always good. It may hurt for a moment, but it's always meant to restore you and bring you a place where you'll bear the righteous fruit of repentance. God is willing to take drastic measures to wake you up. What was the drastic measure of God for Jonah? As he ran, he hurled the storm onto the ship And even kept that storm there until at the very moment he was thrown into the sea and allowed him even to sink. God was taking some pretty drastic measures on his son, his child. 
who did not deserve to live because he fled from him in a racist rage against the people that God wanted to save. He said here, that I'm driven away, verse four, from your sight. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head, the roots of the mountain. God, let him fill this. Verse three, he says, you cast me into the deep. God gets the credit for that, not the people on the boat. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Does life feel like this for you? Any part of your life feel poetically like this? If you're God's child, he doesn't leave you to your own devices. We have a God who's willing to take drastic measures to wake us up. Even the pagans, arise, O sleeper, calling not just for him to wake up on the boat, but something deep inside of his soul to wake up and remember the Lord. Pay attention to what you're doing. This is not worth it. God is pursuing you. Yes, it may be painful, but it is good, and he's trying to get your attention. Where in our life do we need to wake up? That's a sign of an area of our life where we're running. Secondly, this. I want you to consider this if you're running. This is a hard one. The pain of despair and rock bottom may be exactly what you need to feel. The pain of despair and the pain of rock bottom may be exactly what God knows you're gonna have to feel to wake up. And so he'll let you sink, sink, sink. Let the weeds wrap around your head. Let the sea surround you. Let you be overtaken. You know, we tend to think that the despair and the rock bottom we're feeling is the problem, and so we put all of our energy in trying to get out of these painful emotions, and we spend most of our time trying to feel comfort and avoid these things in our life. It could be, could be, not saying it is, but it could be in the moment when we're running where God's letting us feel these things and then our heart's filled with like, God, what are you doing? Don't you love me? Don't you care? Why are you letting me feel these things? You said you love me. This is not how a God treats his child. Yes, it is. Because God knows what you're, when you're running from him, what you're running to. And to let you feel like you're drowning may be the most compassionate, loving thing that God can let you experience if it wakes you up. In the book of 1 Corinthians, talking to the church, God very serious about people in the church who have, who have been given over to sexual immorality. You know what God tells the church to do? If that person will not repent of their sexual immorality, you cast them out from your presence and you treat them like an unbeliever. Oh, God is so unloving. Why would he do that? No, it's because he loves and he sees what that person's running to. And he says, deliver them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Oh, God. why? Why would God want someone to feel the destruction of the flesh over? Why would God want someone to, their body and their life to come to a place of destruction? Because if you cannot repent when the message comes to you and you won't listen to the effects of your brothers and sisters, if you won't listen to the church, you have no hope other than to feel this pain of despair and rock bottom to wake you up and repent because your life is headed for eternal destruction. So if temporal destruction will wake you up, it's worth it. And we have a lot of people on planet earth, as always, as long as it's still here and God tarries, who are headed for destruction. And the last thing they need are a bunch of people who will pander and placate to the sinful desires of running from God. They need people who will help them see the destruction they're running into and a God who will pursue them painfully if need be to wake them up because he loves far much more than us. And let me make this clear in case you're doubting, God, the whole book of Jonah is that God cares more than we do. 
Jonah didn't care about the Ninevites. He hated them. He wanted them to perish. He wanted them to die. He knew that if he went and preached, they'd be repented. They'd repent and God would show mercy. And Jonah says, I knew you were a God of mercy. See, even Jonah knows God's loving. So Jonah runs. Jonah deserves to die. And what does God do for Jonah? Even the person as, as Jonah, who's disobeying the will of the Lord, God still saves him and is good to him, merciful to him when God, when he cries out, even in the last moment. And he's like, now I want you to go and, and, and preach about the destruction to these people, but I want them to experience the same mercy you just felt in the midst of the sea. And so go, Jonah goes, and then at the end of the book, what he, he still has a little pity party, still mad. God's still trying to teach him a lesson even at the end of the book. And at the end of the book, God says, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? There's 140,000 people in this city. Should I not care about them? See the heart of God bleeding out? And then he says, and many cattle, which sounds weird, but it's like, I care about my creation far more than anyone who thinks they have the greenest thumb on the planet. It's my people, my creation, my animals, I care about it more than anyone does. And so when we heap meanness and vindictiveness on God, we have no idea what we're talking about. We're like Jonah. We're like the Ninevites who desperately need God to pursue us and wake us up. Consider this if you're running from God, not only that God will take drastic measures, not only pain and despair may be exactly what you need to feel, but if you feel like you're running from now, here's the, here's the greatest call and application. Humble yourself and call out to him. Even the people in the boat knew this is exactly what John, hey, call out to your God. He didn't speak a word to God in that moment. The only thing he said to the people was, throw me out of the boat and the storm will stop. I'm even, I'm so hard in my heart and obstinate right now and rebellious for the God that I believe in. I'd rather die than there. Die now than surrender and submit to him. Man, All right, Jonah, go, have it. But it wasn't until he was at the bottom of the ocean that he felt the despair that God was using as a great tool of discipline to wake him up. And he called out to the Lord. It says here, it says, you brought up my life from the pit when my life was fainting away. I remember the Lord. And my prayer came to you in your holy temple. He cannot believe that he's alive right now. This is what Jonah, I cannot, I was at the bottom of this. You don't go down in the sea in the midst of a storm and live. I'm alive. Yes, I'm in a fish. It stinks. It's gross. It's wet. I'm claustrophobic. It's terrifying. I would never sign up for this. But in light of what I was facing, man, I'll take this for a few days. This is good. God, thank you for saving my life. Hey, call out to him. Break the silence. I am here today in Michigan, the South Carolina country boy, as a result of running from God and then finally breaking the silence and calling out for him. And God has led my life on a path that has led me here in Michigan. Had no idea I would be here, but I'm so thankful for it. And I look back and I cannot believe, I cannot believe the goodness of God in my life when I was running. 15-year-old boy, I wanted nothing to do with God. Yeah, I believed in him, and I knew he was chasing me, but I ignored him every single night, distracted my life every day to the time it was time to go to bed, and then I was in misery because God was like knocking on my heart. Months and months and months running from him, and then one day I, I break the door open, he's knocking on, and I point him and I say, leave me alone, God, I want nothing to do with you. Yeah, I know you're chasing me, but, and you, I know what you want me to do, but I can't do it. So if something's got to change, God, you got to do it because I can't. I said it with that spirit too. I look back on that now and I see God just like, that's exactly what I needed to hear. You just gave me permission. Think about that. I was honest with God. God, I don't want you. If you're leaving it up for me to chase you, I'm not going to do that. So if you want something to change, God, you got to do it because I can't. You know, that's a pretty, pretty good prayer as a 15-year-old, even though I was mad, I finally let God in and was honest and gave him permission to work in the areas of my life where I couldn't, and he changed me. 
immediately. Something inside me started to change. I started to lose desires for things over here that I was running from God in because I wanted these things. And I began becoming more interested in God. I, I began to more appreciate and understand. I started wanting to go to church, right? Whose parent doesn't want their 15 year old? I started wanting to go to church and hear what the preacher was saying because it started to make sense and it started to seem like life opening this. And then at the right time, God called me and said, that's because you're mine. Surrender to me. I want you to preach and teach God's word for the rest of your life. So as long as God let me, lets me, I'll do that. A broken, undeserving person who's just as bad as Jonah in one moment of my life cried out to God and he's been faithful to me ever since. Humble yourself and call out to him. Fourth thing is this. If you're running from God, God can save in impossible circumstances in unexpected ways. One of the reasons I think we don't call out, maybe we get to the point where we know we need to and we want help, we want hope, whether to break this sin or to make things right with this person or to actually surrender our life to God and make him the number one part instead of this career or whatever it may be or these things or whatever the status it is that's taking the place of God. We feel like we've gone too far and we can't turn back and we're too far deep down in the ocean to be saved. I mean, which, which of us would ever expect to be down hundreds of feet sinking to the bottom of the ocean to ever expect to survive that? Yet Jonah, in that moment, when all was lost and it was too late and it was impossible to be saved, no way the sailors gave it to him, he remembered the Lord, cried out to him, and God saved him out of an impossible circumstance in an unexpected way. Sound like a bigger story in scripture that God's trying to paint, impossible circumstance of mankind that's left God that now has the judgment and wrath of God upon them. There's nothing that we can do. We are facing the judgment of God, yet God in his goodness, what does he do? He makes a plan to actually make a way and to save. And at the right time, Jesus Christ comes into the world, lives the life that we could not, becomes a sacrificial lamb. He, as the son, obedient to the father, though he's in the garden swatting, sweating drops of blood, anticipating the death and the anguish of hanging from a cross for over six hours from his feet and his hands, his back being ripped open, yet he's willingly doing that because God loves the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And God demonstrates his love in this way then that while we were still sinners, we didn't deserve it, Christ died for us. So yeah, Jonah, you're at the bottom of the ocean. This is what you deserve. Reaping what you sow, the enemy may say. But God says, I'm still here. I don't care how far you've, you've sank, how lost you think you are. I am the God who can save in impossible circumstances in unexpected ways. You call out to him and you put it in his hands to help you with whatever it is you're struggling with right now. You let him take the reins. And then finally this, if you're running, consider God is your only hope. All others will fail you. Jonah says this, this is interesting that it seems like as he's crying from the belly of the fish, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. I just, what is going through Jonah's mind in this moment? Is he thinking about the men on the ship who are crying to their gods? Maybe he's down there asleep with one eye open. He's hearing them cry to their little gods and nothing's happening. And now he's thinking about the state of him passing away and he calls out to his God and he's saved in the most miraculous way. And he's almost laughing like, man, I truly do serve the one true God. And then he makes it, he's thinking about, man, everybody else who devotes their life to things other than him for hope, help, joy, are vain idols and they forsake their hope of steadfast love. Why, why is this important? Why would this be important for us as if when we're running or if we are running? Right, because when we're running from God, we're running to other things. And I think in the moments of our life when we're hurting, maybe tragic things have happened. We've got trauma in our life. Maybe we've got very, very undesirable circumstances around us. We're running and we're trying to find some type of comfort, some type of hope, some type of help, and all these other things that represent the gods that people used to cut themselves for. They used to bow down to the wooden images that now for us tend to look like money, 
status, followers on the internet, uh, social media recognition, uh, a promotion, uh, uh, the people in our life, our family in our life worshiping us in some type of way, very, very uh, uh, symbolic, wooden idol translated to our life, anything that we would turn to for hope that we can only get for God. And when we're running, you better believe the pain of running is gonna cause you to run to other little gods for some type of help. Know this, the only thing that can help you and your only hope is God. Do not run from him. Let him in, break the silence and trust him with whatever it may be that you feel is so impossible and so worth hiding and running from him in. Seems like all of scripture is God trying to paint that message in a different way and in a different story to wake us up. is isn't just a message for those who are lost. This is for God's children. Now look what Jonah says at the end of his psalm. At the end of his song. Verse nine. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. With the voice of thanksgiving in the midst of the stinky, smelly, claustrophobic. You know, you may be in the belly of the fish right now and all you can think about is how uncomfortable and miserable it is in this circumstance to be in the fish. But it could be that God's trying to open your eyes to what you're feeling now, whether it's something physical or mental or a circumstance that's out of your control may actually be the salvation of the Lord to keep you from a path that was far darker. And maybe God's wanting you to see the beautiful providence of him being able to use anything in your life to save you and to keep you and to rescue you. And there's something special about the soul of a person who recognizes God that in the midst of the stinky belly fish is able to praise God. The beauty of that type of worship and praise, the things that it does to your soul when in spite of what you're facing now, maybe it's that, that terminal news from the doctor. Maybe it's that, 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 that answer that you were trying to avoid in work. Maybe it's something that happened to your children or something that happened in the past. Whatever it may be, God is the God who can use the most crazy, awesome, wonderful, unexpected, painful things to save you and to rescue you and to keep you and to help you. All things work together for good for those who love and who are the called according to his purpose. Not a circumstance or a health circumstance or anything in life that should cause us to not lift up with a voice of praise and thanksgiving. So if God has saved you, sing to him with a voice of thanksgiving and praise. And look at this, the next slide, in the belly of the fish. Father, thank you for your painful pursuit that we begrudge. Help us not to be like the children in the wilderness who put you to the test and who were not able to see your providence and who constantly went astray in their hearts as you tell us in the book of Hebrews. They constantly went astray and you got to the point where you let them have their ways because they would never turn to you regardless of you parting the Red Sea, regardless of the miracles you did to save them out of slavery, regardless of what you've been trying to show them in the midst of the wilderness. Now your children here at Summit Church listening and trying to make sense of our own life. See these stories in scripture. Help us not to miss the picture you're trying to paint for us. God, save us and help us, keep us. For those who are in the belly of the fish, help us to cry out with a voice of thanksgiving and you may spit us out on a dry land and if so, regardless of what you do or don't do, let us respond with the, with the response of Jonah. I will, I will pay what I have vowed. I will surrender and live my life for you because you are worthy. God, thank you for chasing me, for running after me. 
and saving me, even when I gave up, even when I was done, even when I told you to leave me alone, you still pursued. Thank you, God. Amen. Ma'am, thanks for that, Jasper. Do you have a story of running? Can you, can you identify? The summer of 97 was incredibly formative in my own life because I had been running, never abandoning the things that I said I believed, just not doing them. Having all the head knowledge, not living at my heart. And it took a tragedy of a person who had been a mentor to me. It took um, stopping me in my tracks. And I remember sitting in the hospital, standing over his bed. He was paralyzed from a car accident. June 6, 1997, 6 a.m. in the morning. My boss, driving to work, hit a puddle hydroplane, hit a pole, wrapped his car around it, and now couldn't feel from the neck down. And they said he would likely die. And this is someone who had been very formative and important to me. And, and me and his brother came to the hospital, Northwestern Hospital in Chicago, and we're standing at his bed in ICU with other dying people around him in the same room. And I just remember mustering these encouragements, you know, we're praying for healing, all these things. And the Lord was just like taking my gut and just twisting it. And he was like, you don't even believe it for yourself. And I was standing over his bed and just realizing, and that I don't know how it's possible in a moment like that with so many other distractions and objectives to, to, um, to basically just say, listen, decide right now, choose this day who you're going to serve. Either do it and do it for real and pursue him or walk away from him and don't be a hypocrite. And I, I don't know how I decided. I don't know what was going on in that moment, but I remember leaving that room saying, I don't want to run. I, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I, I want to embrace the things that I know in my head and the things that he's done for me. And uh, that was my running story. And that was 1997 and all those, been many ups and downs, many mistakes, many persistent sins, many setbacks. And yet there's never been a moment where I wanted to return to that pit. And so I don't know where, where you are at today, what your running looks like, what you're avoiding what heartbreak or what offense towards God you might be harboring. Um, but Jasper's right. He will use these things to show you the futility of following other gods and living small stories. And so Proverbs 18 says, that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous, they run into it and they are safe. There is no safer place than to be following Jesus no matter where he leads you. Let's stand up on our feet. And let's go out this day professing this truth.